Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast, where we're committed to helping you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. Let's get to today's message. What's up, everybody, and welcome to Simple Church. My name's Aaron DeLong. I'm the lead pastor here. Once again, I am so glad that you are here with us this Sunday morning or this Monday afternoon, or this Tuesday evening, whenever you're watching this, I'm just glad that you're here with us. Thanks for being a part of what we're doing here at Simple Church. Today, we are uh, continuing a series called Carols. We're in week three of it, and here's what we've been doing in this series. We've been taking songs that you are familiar with, songs that you have probably sung since you were very young, and just become so familiar with the words that it's possible that they've lost their meaning, or that since you learned them when you were younger, you just kind of missed out on some of the most important parts of the song. Because a lot of songs that were written were songs that were written about the real meaning of Christmas, because it's not about the fat guy in the suit that comes down the chimney. Christmas is all about Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ is built into the name. And so Christmas is all about him. And so when we find songs that are not just about eggnog and pumpkin pie and the the walks in the winter wonderland, when the songs are about him, those songs can be worship songs. And so my goal is to take some songs that maybe you've heard that you're likely familiar with that you can sing by heart and kind of turn them on their head a little bit and point out something in those songs that maybe the next time you hear it will cause you to pause and worship. So that's what we're doing. This week, we are taking a look at the song Away in a Manger. Now, just some history on this song. It was originally published in 1885 in a Lutheran's children's curriculum. Now, the author of this book attributed it to Martin Luther, which would make its origins in Europe. But it was discovered that pouring over the history and over all of, of Luther's writings, that Luther never penned this song. He called it Luther's Cradle Hymn. That's what they said it was from, but he never actually wrote this for his kids. And so it was later found as we've looked through the ages and looked through history that this song actually was likely originated here in the United States, still in the 1800s. And there have been multiple authors and multiple versions done to multiple melodies over the years. And so while whoever, whoever authored it may be a mystery, the reason why we love it so much is not. This is a song about Jesus's birth and we love it. So here's our worship team that's gonna take it away and sing Away in a Manger.
Man, what a great song that is. It is, brings so much peace and so much tranquility. And actually, if you close your eyes for too long, it might lull you into a sleep because it was kind of written to be a lullaby. But that song is so beautiful. If you love that song uh, growing up, or even if it's your, one of your favorites today, why don't you share over in the comments for us? But today, what we're going to do in this song is we're going to focus on a phrase because the song is all about the beauty of that night. It focuses on the nativity. It focuses on the surrounding. It focuses on the stillness of the night. Uh, it focuses on the fact that Jesus didn't make a sound. Like everything was calm. Everything was bright. And really, I think if you get lost in those kind of details, you might miss the most important part of the song. And so I want to focus in on a little phrase that says this, the little Lord Jesus. Because this Jesus that is talked about in this psalm is not just little eight pound, six ounce newborn baby Jesus that don't even know a word yet. No, that's, he's more than that. So instead of focusing on the environment, instead of focusing on the cattle that are lowing and the poor baby wakes, like instead of focusing on that, I want to focus on this phrase that we talk about Jesus, that he is Lord. And I want to focus on that key thought. In fact, today's key thought is simply this, that Jesus is Lord. Come on, say that with me now. Say, Jesus is Lord. If you're in our online campus or watching on Facebook, type it in the comments. Jesus is Lord. This statement alone, this reference to Jesus being Lord is mentioned over 740 times in the New Testament that Jesus is Lord. So let's take a look at a classic Christmas verse. This is one of the first places that Jesus is mentioned as Lord. It's from Luke's gospel. And it's in this first verse we see, it says, do not be afraid. This is the angels talking to the shepherds. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. That's good news because it's not just for exclusive people, which we talked about uh, in one of the previous messages on, in this series. It's for everybody. It's for all people. That means you. Somebody out there say, that means me. Post it in the comments. That means me. This is good news for all people. He goes on to say, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. As you said, savior, what, what do I need saving from? We'll get to that in just a little bit. He's saved us. He's brought us salvation. He is Christ the Lord. It doesn't say he's a little eight pound, six ounce baby Jesus that is so cute. That's not what he says. It doesn't say that he's so cuddly. It doesn't talk about how quiet he is or how serene it is. It talks about his lordship. And the beginning of his story is beautiful that it starts with this because it must start with this because that's who Jesus is. Because if we focus on the fact that he's a baby, a baby can't lift his head, a baby can't speak, a baby can't do anything for himself, a baby can't feed himself, a baby can't heal anyone, preach a message, or do a good deed. But if we focus on the fact that he is Lord, well, it changes the whole story. So that's where I want to focus today. So what does that mean to us? What does it mean to us that Jesus is Lord, especially in our everyday lives? What does it mean that Jesus is Lord in my marriage? What does it mean that Jesus is Lord in my dating? What does it mean he's Lord in my sexuality or while I'm on Christmas break or, or when I'm going out on the weekend or when I'm, I find myself in a virtual classroom or even on the job or on vacation or when no one's looking? What does it mean that Jesus is Lord practically in our lives. Well, the Greek word used here for Lord, because remember your Bible was written in two original languages, the Hebrew and Greek, some of it in Aramaic, so there's the small third, but, 
but primarily Hebrew and Greek. And in this case, the New Testament is translated from Greek into English. And the Greek word used here for the word Lord is this word right here. It is kurios. Kurios means supreme in authority. That means there's nothing higher, right? He is supreme in authority. If he is Lord, this word kurios means supreme in authority, controller, Lord. Man, I, I can already feel the pushback right now. If you're, if you're just tuning in and just hearing about who Jesus is and what it means for him to be Lord for the very first time, there's some tension here because for Jesus to be supreme in authority, okay, we can understand that because he's a king and, you know, well, I mean, the rules are good. As long as I don't get caught, I can bend the rules, you know, of authority. And we talk, we look at Jesus through our framework of authority in our home and at our school and in our laws, but, 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 but. So maybe we're bending the rules a little bit there. We don't really have permission to do that, but we, we can feel that. But when it comes to control, oh dear Lord, we, we want to fight a little bit. There's some tension there because what we want most of all is control. Man, I get that. I totally can relate because I, I'm one of those people that, that am fighting for freedom to get, get free from the need for control of people's perception of me. I'm fighting for freedom to get control for, or to get control of self. I, I, I want control of outcomes. I want control of conversations. I want control of relationships. I want control of my future for, 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 for my family and I. I want control. How about you? Put it in the comments. What is it that you like to control? Because I feel like we all want to be in control. So what does it mean that Jesus is supreme in authority, in control over our lives and Lord? Well, first, I want to understand that, that, that as we talk about this, that we don't make Jesus Lord. We often talk about that when, we're, when we're, we're saying a prayer and asking Jesus to come into our life and asking him to be Lord of our lives. As Christians, you need to understand that you didn't make Jesus Lord. You actually don't have the authority to do that. You don't have the place to do that. God made him Lord many, 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 I mean, like in eternity past, God is the one who made him Lord you acknowledging him and submitting to him as Lord is not what makes him Lord. He's already Lord, okay? But you can submit your life to him and make him Lord of your life. We surrender to his existing lordship, making him supreme in his authority, meaning that what he says goes and that he's only the one who's in control. So for the rest of our time today, what I want to look at is like, what does it look like for our lives to be surrendered to the lordship of Christ. How do we do that? And there's two different levels of surrender. The first one is the partially surrendered life. Now, my fear is, and actually that we're, we're seeing this play out uh, and, and actually be true in today, because Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 3, that in the end of days, which by the way, that's what we're in right now, that in the end of times, what we would have is this casual Christianity where people would have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof, which means that they'll go to church on Sundays, they'll wear the badge, they'll have the sticker, the bumper sticker on their car. But when it comes to actually surrendering to the Lordship of Christ in their life over every area of their life, well, they'll only be partially surrendered. They'll only be partially surrendered. They'll reject God's ways. They'll reject what God has to say about certain areas of their life. And they'll come to church on Sunday, but Monday through Friday, they'll live their lives however they want to, where they are in control, partially surrendered. And in Luke 6, Jesus speaks to this 
to, to people. And he's talking to wise and foolish builders. And he says this to them, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why do you, why do you call me supreme in authority? Why do you say you're the controller of my life? Why do you call me Lord and do not do what I say? In other words, you're talking the talk, but you're not walking the walk. You're giving me lots of lip service, but what Jesus was looking for was a life that reflected that lip service, a life that was surrendered. He was looking for life service. Many say Jesus is Lord, but they say, well, I want control, or I want to do what I want to do, or I'm, I, I'm going to trust you with this, but I'm not going to trust you with everything. I'm going to hold control and keep part of this to myself, and I'm, I'm going to be Lord over this. Thank you very much. And before long, we wind up reading our Bibles and looking at, at certain areas of our life and say, oh, forgiveness, huh? Oh, you mean I'm, I'm supposed to forgive people? Huh, and there's no conditions on that forgiveness. It doesn't say forgive them unless they hurt you. Forgive them unless they physically assaulted you. Forgive them unless they broke your heart. Forgive them unless they lied to you. No, there's no conditions. It just calls us to forgive. And we say, well, we, I don't really like that, Aaron. That part of the Bible is just no good for me. Or we say, well, I'm, I'm supposed to, in my finances, oh, looky here, I'm supposed to live generously. I'm supposed to live a life of generosity. I'm supposed to give. I'm supposed to give 10% of my income to the Lord and trust him with the 90% that he can do more with the 90 than I can do with the 100 I don't really like that part. That seems silly. No, we'll just take that out of our Bible. Or we talk about our gifts, the gifts that God has placed inside of us and how we're supposed to use our time and our treasure and our talent to make a difference in this world, understanding that God placed those things there. And we go, ah, but I'm just so busy. I don't have time to honor this part of the Bible or my sexuality. Wait, you mean scripture says that there should be no sexual arousal outside of a marriage relationship between a man and a woman? And that's in here? And no, that's not very convenient for my dating life or the way that I want to live my life and how I want to love. And that, that doesn't make sense for me. So I'm going to rip it out of my Bible. Now, if you're watching this and if you're mad, you're probably mad that I'm ripping stuff out of the Bible and you're figuring at any moment, lightning is going to strike me dead. But let me tell you what I did. I ripped out pages in the ink. But we, by the way we live our lives, rip God's truth out of his word all the time. And nobody has anything to say about that. You're more offended about pages that I ripped out of a book than you are at the offense of ignoring God's truth for your life, living a partially surrendered life. Jesus said, don't call me Lord, Lord, and go do what you want. If I'm Lord, do what I say. This is the partially surrendered life. And if we're living a partially surrendered life, what we do is we oftentimes will approach scripture through that lens of a partially surrendered life. And so we would look at very, very powerful verses this way. It says, trust in the Lord with some of your heart and lean on your own understanding. In some of your ways, acknowledge him and you can make your own path straight. That's Proverbs 3 verses 5 through 6. Now, if this is uh, your first time in church, know that this is not the real translation of this verse. In fact, this is the PSV translation, meaning partially surrendered version, right? This is the way we read scripture if we're living a partially surrendered life. We'll say, Jesus, I I'm only going to give you some of it. 
that, that I'm going to trust in my ways and I'm going to trust that I can make my way straight. And that's the craziest thing to me because if you could make your way straight and if your ways were working, you wouldn't be in the mess that you're in right now. And you don't need me to tell you that. You're actually experiencing the pain of that right now if you're being honest. Jesus is not a part-time Lord looking for part-time followers. Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. That's what it means. Jesus is inviting us to a relationship with him that he describes this way. He says, all of you are invited to come, but you got to take up your cross and follow me. And the cross was an instrument of torture and death. The cross was an instrument whereby things were nailed to it. And Jesus is saying, come follow me. Salvation is free. But if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to surrender your life on this cross. You're going to have to crucify your desires. You're going to have to crucify your agenda. You're going to have to crucify the things that you want most and follow after me. I'm going to be in control. My authority is going to be supreme. As Lord, he determines how we live our lives and what's best for us. And when that conflicts with what we want... How we behave from that moment forward determines whether Jesus is really Lord of our lives. Like when we come upon scripture that says, this is God's best for you. And we look at it and say, no thanks. We've decided we're partially surrendered life. We're not gonna surrender there. And so here's my encouragement to you today. I don't want this to sound so hopeless. I don't want this to sound like, man, okay, I'm here. What do I do? I'm a terrible person. No, you're not. You're like the majority of us. We want to live a surrendered life, but we haven't realized that there's an area that we aren't surrendering. So here's what we do. I'm going to have you ask yourself this question and be honest. Ask the Holy Spirit to answer this question for you and is, what haven't I surrendered to the Lord? Ask yourself that question. What haven't I surrendered to the Lord? And when you ask, man, I would encourage you, grab pen and paper and just sit still and listen. Turn the television off. Turn your phone off. Get into a place of silence and just listen to what the Lord has to say. Because the areas that he reveals will be the areas that you have not made him Lord. You have not surrendered completely to his authority, his supreme authority, and to his control and his lordship in your life. Say, God, what is the areas I haven't surrendered to you? And some of you, you're going to hear that, that that area of surrender is worry over your kids or whether you've got your future all lined up because I'm, some of you, you've got this, this thing all mapped out. Like I'm going to graduate high school. I'm going to go to this college. I'm going to marry a girl and, and at this age and I'm going to have a job and this career and doing this and then I'm going to get a home in this area and I'm going to retire at this. Like you've got your whole future mapped out for yourselves. Or some of you, what God's going to put his finger on and say, it's that relationship you're in. It's that person you're dating. You believe you can change them, but I'm telling you they're no good for you and you need to walk away. God is going to speak to you. So what isn't that you haven't surrendered to the Lord? For me, I'll be honest in this season, one of the toughest things that I've had to struggle with is that, that uh, I have three children and my twin boys have just turned 18 in March and graduated high school, and they've begun their own lives. And one of the challenges for me as a father, specifically as I sit here and share this, looking at this camera, which my son is on the other side of the camera, but is telling you honestly this, that I've struggled to control their lives because I think I know what's best for them. 
I think I know what's best for them in their relationships. I think I know what's best for them in their careers. I think I know what's best for them in their thinking and in their pathway for life. And so in my relationship, as they became men, men that I raised them to be, men that I've taught them to be, men that I have modeled for them to be, I've watched them and said, oh, I wouldn't make that decision. Or I have, I have strived to be in control through snarky comments that I will make or, or, or I'll try to discourage this or that to the point that I put pressure on that relationship that is not needed in order to control outcomes, in order to control what I think is best for them. And along the way, I've learned this is not how I want to be in relationship with them. And the Lord's put his finger on that part of my life as I've come to him repeatedly praying for my, my children saying, God, I think I know what's best for them, and I think it's this, and I think it's that. And the Lord stopped me one day, and he said, am I not trustworthy? He said, am I not trustworthy? And I said, and I just stopped, and I thought about it. And I had to recall God's goodness and his favor. And I had to recall who he is in his word. And I had to make a conscious choice, which I have to make that conscious choice over and over and over again to surrender my children's life to him. Because even if they make mistakes or don't do things the way that I would do them, God's in control. And because I know him, I know he's trustworthy. I know that he's good. And I know that I made all kinds of mistakes with my life. And God still brought me back to him. God loved me through all of it. And God loves my children the way he loves me. He's no respecter of persons. He is good. He is for me and he is for them. And there I found the peace to be able to trust him, to let go of control. And I stopped I have done all that I can to see striving for control in those relationships, to love my children well, to show up in their lives in a different way, in a trusting place. And it, for me, I don't know if they would attest to this, but for me, it's changed everything. It's changed everything. I'm choosing to trust him with their lives, with their futures, and I keep on choosing to surrender. So what about you? What do you need to surrender to the Lord? In fact, if you already know what that is and you're so bold and, and you wouldn't mind, share it in the chat. Listen, I, it, <laughs> our strengths inspire people, but we connect well with each other through weaknesses. So share in the chat and we can, we can share, we can connect, we can pray for one another, encourage one another. What about you? What does you need to surrender to the Lord today, to his lordship? I'm concerned because a vast majority of us are living a partially surrendered life. Some of us intentionally, others of us unintentionally, but praying that prayer, asking God, what am, I, what am I holding on to? What haven't I surrendered to you? Will help you take a step out of a partially surrendered life. The second level of surrender is the fully surrendered life. And this, this is what Jesus wants for us. It's not because he's a control freak or an egomaniac. Or it's not because any, of any reason like that. It's because he's good. He created us. He knows what's best for us. He designed us. He knows what we need in our lives. And it's not the things we think we need. It's not the ways we want to be. It's his best for us that is actually best for us, even when it feels contrary to what we desire. Jesus is looking for those of us who are all in and fully surrendered. Not a Sunday Christian or in a word only Christian, because listen, going to church on Sunday isn't enough. 
If going to church on Sunday was it, man, we would all have it. A lot of us would have it in the bag. But going to church on Sunday does not make you a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes you a car. It is not the way you become a Christian. A fully surrendered life is what it takes to be a Christian, which means Christ follower, that you are trusting his way, that you are submitting to his supreme authority and his control in your life, holding nothing back, giving it all to him in full commitment to him. Paul said this, for we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. It's not, it's not about us. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord, right? There's that word, Lord. So whether we live or we die, all of it's about him. It's about his lordship in our lives. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. We're not even our own. We are his possession. When we submit to his lordship, to his control, we're also submitting possession of ourselves to him. It's a beautiful thing. We don't belong to ourselves. Our lives are no longer our own in a fully surrendered life. It's kind of like this. When Shanda and I met, we dated for three months, and I popped the question. I worked hard to save up money, paid cash for an engagement ring. And when I got down on one knee and I asked her to be my wife, I said, will you be my bride and will you be mine, right? And at that moment, that ring, while it cost me a lot of money, it didn't cost Shanda a thing. And she accepted it. It was a free gift to her. But once she received it and put it on her finger, the day we got to our wedding vows, it cost her something. It cost her everything because marriage is a covenant relationship that we make to each other where we mutually submit to one another. We give possession of our bodies, our belongings, our hearts, our minds, our futures, all that we are to one another. And so Shanda is mine. She is my bride. It cost her zero to receive that ring. But once she put it on her finger, it cost her everything. Some of you are pushing back right now. I can hear you in the, in the room already. Well, she's not your property. Let me tell you something. Slide up on her and start flirting with her. I promise you I will wreck it, Ralph, your face. I promise you. That will happen. She is my bride. If you don't believe that I belong to her, listen, you know how long I can hang out with a group of ladies by myself? Not for very long, because she will cut them and she will cut me. I belong to her. We made vows. We belong to each other. Fully surrendered. Fully surrendered to each other. And it's the same with Jesus. This gift of salvation that he offers us, the wiping and cleansing away of our sins and our mistakes, our yesterdays, the redemption of the totality of our lives, all of our decisions, mistakes, good and bad, all of it. That gift that Jesus offers us, it costs us nothing but it cost him everything. It literally cost him his life. It cost him his reputation. It cost him his kingdom and glory. As he walked away from it, became a man and lived here on this earth for 33 years. Publicly humiliated, beaten, murdered, brutally, and rose from the dead. It cost him everything. But when we receive that salvation, we receive that, that gift because we're making him Lord of our lives. And at that point, once we receive it, it costs us everything. And understand that giving him everything is really the only reasonable response that we have to the one who gave his all for us, for the way that he loved us and what he's given us, we could never earn or obtain on our own. 
He is our Savior. And our response to discovering that kind of love in the midst of our wretchedness, while we were helpless, while we were yet sinners, he died for us on the cross. We give him everything. We give him control. We submit to his supreme authority on every subject in every area of our lives. We make him Lord. Our lives are no longer our own. Casual Christianity isn't going to cut it. Jesus isn't your homeboy. Jesus isn't your buddy. Jesus isn't a little baby in a manger. He is Lord. He's our soon and coming kings. He is the Lord of Lord. He reigns supreme. That's why the actual translation of Proverbs says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart, not just some of it, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Now this word acknowledge is is probably the translator's best translation, but this word here is written in the Greek and it's the word yada. And yada is this Hebrew word that means to know. It was also used in reference to how Adam knew Eve. It said that Adam yada Eve. It said he knew him, he knew Eve intimately, right? Now this is not just a sexual reference, although it could certainly mean that. But in this case, this word yada, in all your ways yada him, in all your ways know him, is a better translation. To know him in all your ways. In other words, you know him in all the things that you do in every area of your life. You know his preference for you. You know not just his preference, but his authority on that particular subject. You know what he has to say about your sexuality. You know what he has to say about your thoughts. You know what he has to say about your relationships. You know what he has to say about your fears and your worries and the areas in your life that you are trying to control. That in all of your ways, you make it a point to search him out and to know him. Because let me tell you something, you will not know him. You may know about him. You could read his rules. You could read his authority. You could read his ways in scriptures and choose not to obey them. And you will know about them, but you will not know him until you choose to submit to his authority. In all your ways, know him and he will make your path straight. You wanna start walking on a straight path. You wanna start walking on a trusted path and be in a place of safety and security. That doesn't mean bad things ain't ever gonna happen to you. It means that you be walking on a path that he's walking with you, that he's blessing you in, then know his ways. Know his ways in all things. The reasons why we don't surrender to God is because we don't know him. See, if you know him, to know him, is to love him. And to love him is to trust him. Scripture tells us that perfect love casts out all fear, casts out all reservations, casts out the concerns that we attach to trusting him and obeying him fully and completely. No, we, we hold on because we don't know him, because we don't trust him, because we don't love him. And it could be we just don't know him in that particular area of our lives. That's why it's important that when God's word conflicts with what we desire, that we need to make sure we get in it and study it. And we need to make a conscious decision and to repent. Repent means to turn away from our way and choose to go God's way. It's literally a 180. We got to stop thinking that repentance is a bad thing. Repentance, the Bible says the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. So when God's goodness and his grace puts his finger on something in your life and says, this 
this right here, this is an area that you need to surrender to me. And you look and you see it in scripture and it's clear as day that it conflicts with your own desires and what you want and how you feel. Then my challenge to you is to say, God, I need to submit to this. And today I repent and this is the way that I'm gonna do it. And this is the brother or sister in Christ that I'm gonna talk to about this. And they're gonna pray with me and I'm gonna be healed of this of this erroneous way that I've been walking. I'm gonna submit to your way. I'm gonna make you, Lord, give me your power and add it to what I'm planning to do so that I can be in full surrender of your, of, to your word. Because listen, God is good. God is pure. God is holy. God is righteous. There is no one like him. He is not a liar. He doesn't change. He is faithful. He is present. He is powerful. He is all-knowing and God is trustworthy. His ways are the best ways for you. So the first and most important thing we can do in all of our ways is to know God, is to know what he desires for us. You know, it's a relational thing that we're talking about here. In fact, Jesus, when asked what the greatest command is that is found in all the totality of scripture, he says, there's two and they're, they're equal. They're, they're just as important. Love God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind, with all your soul. It means with every part of you, it's a relational thing. Love him because if you love him, you'll know him, you'll take time to know him and you'll trust him. You'll submit to the lordship of him in your life through this ongoing intimate love relationship. And when you come across these areas of your life that you are not surrendered, it's easier to submit because you have this experience of trusting him in your life. You can know him in all your ways. And I worry because I think some people have Christianity wrong. They think since they go to church every Sunday or because they got dunked and baptized at one point in time or because they threw a few dollars in the offering plate or because they half-heartedly served whenever they're begged to, that, that they think this is Christianity and that they're good to go. And the truth is this is not Christianity. Salvation may not cost you anything up front, but it does cost you everything once you accept the gift of that. And that gift is surrendering your life to the one who loves you, to know him in all your ways, to submit to his lordship in your life. And if you choose to not, unfortunately, I'm not trying to scare you, but there are consequences to refusing Christ in, as Lord of your life. There are consequences to it. And I'm not trying to scare you. I need you to have what we call a, the fear of the Lord. This is a healthy reverence of him because Jesus, Jesus has things to say about, about, the, uh, about this relationship, about this lordship relationship because if you knew him, you'd love him. You'd trust him to be Lord, right? And Jesus says this, that, that in the end times, there's gonna be people who say, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my father who's in heaven. Jesus is saying, you can wear the Jesus t-shirt. You can have the Jesus fish on your, on your laptop or on your bumper sticker. But that doesn't mean that I'm really Lord of your life. I'm, word, I'm, I'm Lord in word, but I'm not Lord in deed. He goes on to say, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, drive out demons and perform many miracles. This is the, the, the equivalent of saying, didn't I go to church? Didn't I do good things? Didn't I give in the red bucket to the guy in the Santa suit at the Kmart? Like, didn't I do that? He says, then I'll tell them plainly. You didn't do enough good deeds. No, that's not what he said. 
He's, he's going to say, even though they called me Lord, even though they said I was Lord, even though they did good things, they didn't do what I told them to. They, they, never, knew, they never knew him. He said, he said, then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. That's harsh, man. That's a really tough statement. But Jesus is saying it's not about your lip service. It's not about the good deeds that you do. It's about submitting your life to him as Lord, being in relationship with him, knowing him, trusting him, loving him. This is what it takes to make him Lord. We can't do these things and yet miss the most important thing, which is to know him. Jesus said, I wasn't Lord of your life, so you go away from me. This is a big difference here, a big difference in calling him Lord and surrendering to his lordship. In fact, that big difference is experienced not only here in this life, but in eternity. Because you can know him as Lord here on this earth, submit to his lordship, live your life according to his ways. And if you do, you'll experience a full and fulfilled life here on this earth and eternity in heaven with him. But if you resist his lordship here on this earth, then it doesn't matter. There is a judgment day that is coming where the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You'll no longer be putting your faith in him. We'll see him for who he is and we'll have no choice but to bow and to declare. And if your choice is to resist his lordship here in this earth, then in eternity, you will get exactly what you have desired in this life, which is separation from him as Lord, but it'll be an eternal separation. There'll be no more grace for that moment. And again, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just telling you, there's coming a day when you will acknowledge him as Lord. Why not do it now? Why not experience him now, to know him now, to love him now, and have all the benefits of that loving relationship that are available to you? Jesus is Lord, and it's time for us to surrender to his lordship in our lives, but not just saying it once, but examining every area of our lives and allowing him to do the same. It's time to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, know him and he will make your path straight. Let's pray. Father, today I pray that you would just help us to know you as Lord. <sighs> Father, that you would open our eyes to see areas in our lives where we are not submitted to you. Lord, I understand that, that if we shrug off, shrug off this opportunity that, that we're choosing to live a partially surrendered life, and my prayer is that we would be motivated to experience a fully surrendered life with you. So today, God, help us to see what we can't see. Help us to repent, to make a plan to turn towards you. Help us, God, add your power and your strength to us as we submit to your supreme authority, as we submit to your control of our lives and your lordship today. As we continue in this moment of prayer, there are those of you that, that you're among that group that have not submitted to the lordship of christ and i mean it when i tell you scripture says someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess today you can make that decision you can make a decision to accept the best thing that god has for you which is his son jesus to accept his lordship to accept 
salvation, to accept freedom from your sins and your mistakes, to accept his spirit who will fill you and transform your life, make you a new creation. Jesus has a full and fulfilling life here on earth that he has created and designed for you. Doesn't mean that you'll be perfect. It doesn't mean that bad things won't happen to you. It means that he will be with you. His spirit will be in you, guiding you, and you'll walk through life in a way that no one else gets to. No one else except those that have submitted their lives to the Lordship of Christ. So today, if you're ready to invite Jesus to be Lord of your life, to receive forgiveness, to receive his grace, to receive this new relationship that not only makes you right with God, offers a full and fulfilled life here on this earth, but offers eternity in heaven with God where you get to enjoy all the benefits of that relationship. If you're ready, join me and pray this prayer. For those of you that are in our online campus or on Facebook, would you just shoot up your hand, maybe use an emotion, emoticon and shoot up, shoot up your hand or there's a button on the screen in the campus that says, I'm raising my hand today, but would you just let us know you're praying this prayer with us? Say, Jesus, I need you. Today, be Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. Show me how to live for you and how to tell others about you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Man, if you prayed that prayer, all of heaven is having a party and we're celebrating with you too here in our campus. Check out the comments. People are shouting for those of you that made this commitment today. We're so very, very proud of you and so thankful that you made that choice today. If you did make that choice today, make the second best choice you can make right now in this moment. Click on the connect card. You'll find that in the uh, show notes or the description of the video uh, or the podcast or even in the online campus. There's a button that says connect card. Click that, fill out that information. Let us get you a Bible. Let us help you with your next steps. Let us help you become either part of this church or a church locally there for you. You belong here with us in this family of believers and we wanna help you on your next steps. So click that connect card and fill it out for us, please. As we wrap up our time today, I wanna give those of you that have uh, come today an opportunity to give. If you're guests with us, you're under no obligation to give. We're just glad that you're here. If the Lord has spoken to your heart to give something, do that now. There's lots of ways to do that. They're on the screen right now. You can mail it in. You can give through text or digitally, but we're so thankful for your generosity. Your generosity is allowing us to do really cool things right now, specifically in this pandemic season through our In This Together campaign. Uh, this past week, I learned of a family that we were able to bless. We paid for all of their propane for the entire winter season so that their house could be warm. Your generosity did that. Did that. So well done, Simple Church. Just want to celebrate that with you. You guys are making a difference, not just in individuals' lives here in our community, but around the globe through partnerships with missionaries and organizations. We give generously of what you give to us. So thank you so much for your generosity. Next week, we are going to continue this series and actually wrap it up. We're going to take a look at O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And uh, very excited for that. Also excited for our Christmas Eve services. Be part of the team that is inviting people to our online Christmas service. Hey guys, we love you so much. I'm so humbled and honored to be your pastor. So thankful that you've been with us for this entire series and throughout the entirety of today. God bless you guys. We'll see you back here next Sunday.